Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. $379.99. That's how much a limited edition pair of Major League Baseball team branded wireless headphones will set you back. MLB teaming with Apple's Beats by Dre to produce sets for the Red Sox, Cubs, Dodgers, Yankees, and Giants. The new sponsorship unveiled around the All-Star Game, the first between Beats and a pro sports league. As Commissioner Rob Manford emphasized in last week's debut episode of Keeping Score, MLB demographics are getting younger and more diverse. Clearly, this corporate partnership serves as an example. It's the NBA versus the NHL. The Milwaukee Bucks are threatening to relocate to Seattle or Vegas if a deal for a proposed $500 million arena can't be reached. The Bucks need to start construction of a new arena this fall in order to have the building ready by 2017 when the team's current BMO Harris-Bradley center lease expires. Owner Mark Lazary may be in a race against NHL expansion in either Seattle or Las Vegas. These were two of the four cities that requested expansion bid applications from the NHL, in addition to Quebec City and the greater Toronto area. Las Vegas may not need an expansion team. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman denying reports that the Arizona Coyotes will relocate to Las Vegas beginning with the 16-17 season. The Coyotes face uncertainty with the upcoming season as the city of Glendale recently terminated the team's lease at the Gila River Arena. 100 million pounds. That's the potential economic impact of the British Open Golf Championship taking place at St. Andrews in Scotland. Last year's tournament generated 75 million pounds for the Merseyside economy. The event's a hot ticket with American Jordan Spieth going for his third straight major championship, while golfer Tom Watson prepares for his 38th and likely last British Open. And it takes us right to our featured interview this week with legendary golfer Gary Player. We're here with the unquestionable icon of global and international golf. Uh, a million sit-ups a day, uh, 15 million miles traveling. The million is a little made up. The 15 million is not. And celebrating the career Grand Slam, it was won in 1965. Uh, St. Andrews is big this week, but it's even bigger because Gary Player is front and center on it. How are you doing, my friend? Uh, Rick, we uh, are in our element here at St. Andrews, the home of golf. I mean, for people that have never seen this place, uh, it's so extraordinary. The atmosphere of this wonderful little town, this world-class international university, a golf course that has stood the test of time and all the great champions of the world have participated on it, the RNA and here playing the oldest of all the major championships. What an experience and what an atmosphere. And we're all waiting for the bell to bong. Well, when the bell bongs, it bongs for you, too, to pick a, up a metaphor. You were the only third golfer in history to win the career Grand Slam. Uh, 
when you're 29 years old, and obviously Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods followed, but the company of Gene Sarazen and Ben Hogan, uh, it is significant. Uh, you've won 165 tournaments on six continents, but the celebration of the winning of the Grand Slam for you has to be very important to you personally, doesn't it? It really is, Rick, and I think, you know, in the Bible it talks a lot about two things, wisdom and gratitude, and uh, I never forget to say a prayer of thanks that I was able to accomplish all this. Uh, I, I look back now, and I, I just realize that how fortunate I was. You, you can have talent. Uh, you can be determined. You can have all the assets that are required, but it's still a gift from the man above. There have only been about 12 players that I consider in the history of the, golf super, uh, the game of golf superstars, and I think you've got to win six majors to be considered a superstar. And I look back on my career, and I can only say thank you, but I've made so many wonderfully terrific friends around the world traveled more than any human being ever, dined with so many of the great country America's uh, presidents, the emirs in the Middle East, the royal families, the prime ministers, but also in the villages of Africa and India with the real poor people who I learned so much from as well. Uh, it's been a wonderful journey. It was very difficult as a young man starting out with my mother dying when I was eight father a very poor man my brother went to war to fight with the americans and the british at 17 years of age my sisters at boarding school I come home to a dark house but it really helped me become a world champion because i knew what it was to struggle and uh, anytime you become a champion it is a struggle it's dedication it's applications it's eating properly it's exercising it's improving the mind so I've been very blessed. You've been blessed, but you've blessed people around you as well. And uh, let's start with the foundation, then we'll get into the business. You know, the Give Player Foundation, many people know, most people don't, that you've raised significant dollars around the world, Shanghai, Johannesburg, the Ethel schools that you, the Blair Ethel schools you've established, and every year you have the series of charity events which I know from personal experience, is incredibly well attended. And they really not out of obligation for people, basically because they want to support your ability to help. Tell me about the business of maximizing charitable revenue. Well, first of all, this could never be done without really great sponsors. Uh, Coca-Cola have been very helpful. Rolex. Berenberg Bank in Germany. I could go on and on and on with all the sponsors who've been magnificent, but also the businessmen and the celebrities and the pro golfers, uh, both senior and regular tour. It's just been unbelievable to raise. We've raised almost $60 million now uh, for charities around the world. When we raise money in America, the money goes to charities there in South Africa goes to uh, education, mainly for our young black children in South Africa who were denied education. Uh, in China, it was for AIDS. We raised 60 million RMB for the AIDS children in China and now in Europe for homeless people 
what a wonderful feeling when you've struggled and been poor to be able to change people's lives. And I always said when I was a young boy growing up, I don't know, it's just it's that little gift that I was telling you about. I never said one day when I'm a, if, I, if I'm a world champion, I said one day I'm going to be a world champion at something and I'm going to help people who are struggling. What do you think, though, the guys who are up and coming, the Jordan Spieth, who hasn't won six, but he will, uh, Rory, who has a little trouble playing soccer, even if he doesn't have any trouble playing golf, is there an <laughs> obligation to do the kinds of things that you are doing for charity if you become that kind of superstar, not just in golf, but in all sports? Absolutely, Rick, and that's a marvelous question you've posed. Anytime you make a lot of money or you are successful in life, we have an obligation, I believe. Now, whatever you say, Rick, there's always people who criticize and, and approve. I yep. say never let compliments go to your head and never let criticism go to your heart. Do what you believe is right. But I believe that all people who are successful, let's take golf, which is my business. All these fellas, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicklaus, uh, they all have their own charities and they put back so much. And here they playing today. We never played for money, but these guys are playing for a first prize of a million every week. They definitely have an obligation because the public, the public, the people are helping them to make that kind of money. So if somebody lends you money, you've got to pay it back. And basically, the public are lending you money. And the way I look at it, to be able to play for these enormous prize, prizes that they do today, they all fly around in jets, so it's a, a very different world. Donald Trump, um, is he good for golf? Has he said too much? What's his future? How's that? It's, that's always a difficult question because everybody is always so judgmental about everything people say. Uh, you know, I've been around a long time. I, I certainly, I would never have, have, have said the things that, uh, that Donald Trump said. I, I don't agree with the things, the way he put it across. He could have been far more diplomatic and more presidential on his points of view. But I think, uh, I think he made a mistake, and, uh, and I think that uh, he'll regret saying it. But this is something, I, you know, it's, very, it's all very easy to stand on the sidelines and criticize. But um, uh, he's, he's done a lot for golf, and he's done, he's done a lot for a lot of people. We mustn't forget the good that he's done. Don't just, you know, hammer people. I mean, if you look at presidents of the United States of America, a lot of them have not behaved all that well, and they come back. You know, they say, give the, always give the man a mulligan. Give the man another chance. I liked what President Clinton said. I don't believe in three strikes before you're out. I believe give them two strikes. And uh, let's hope that all this settles down and works out for the best, because he does do a lot of good around the world. We must never forget the good and just think of the bad. It's a funny thing in life. You can have a lot of people say nice things about you, but there'll always be somebody that has hatred in his heart and say something nasty. And you'll think of the thing that's nasty instead of thinking of all the great things were said about you because you want to be loved by everybody 
And unfortunately, that's not possible. Well, sounds like the media generally. Um, tell me a little bit about the evolution of Black Knight International and Gary Player Design, Player Real Estate, the academies, Black Knight Enterprises, events, publishing wine, apparel memorabilia, only in this context. Describe the brand of Gary Player generally, Gary, and uh, this will never happen because you're not going to be gone, but what does the brand look like after you are gone? Well, if you look at Chanel, for example, they're dead and gone. If you look at Bobby Jones, who was this marvelous gentleman of golf and one of the greatest players that ever lived, his legacy goes on, his brand continues. As long as you have a brand that you don't just endorse every little thing that comes along for money, that you have a brand that has class, I think the brand can go on a long time. And my son is very, very conscientious and emphatic that our brand will not just be money, but it will be class. And I'm so lucky to have a son that manages me in that regard. He's all very meticulous. And so I hope that our brand will continue to do well, and I'm very optimistic that it will. Two more. One is you talked about the U.S. Open Greens a bit. You talked about the, um, the performance-enhancing drugs in 2007. You're the oldest athlete ever to pose nude in ESPN, the magazine's annual body issue. I lump them together only because you are known as an ambassador and a spokesman that transcends the fray, but yet you are able to do whatever you want and speak your mind and have people listen to it. How do you do it? I think, first of all, if you can try and be diplomatic and realize that what you're doing is for a good cause. Let's take, let's take uh, ESPN uh, appearing uh, on the nude magazine. First of all, it's done very discreetly, and I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't done discreetly. I'm practicing like Jack LaLanne was my dear friend, I'm trying to get the youth of the world to realize their body is a holy temple, to, you know, to be able to, uh, to contribute to society, to work hard, save governments of all this money on, on health care. The way we're going, governments will not be able to afford it. We're becoming a world of sick people. So with the exercise and the tough routine that I live by and exercise and realize how important it is to be fit, I did this, and I'm so happy I did, because people could look and say, here's a guy who's nearly 80, look at his body, what it looks like, I'm going to change. So I feel, and I'm very happy that I did that. Let's take the U.S. Open. The U.S. Open golf course, I think it's a wonderful thing that the USGA choose a public golf course, because that's for the people, and that's golf is for the people. But they talk about speeding up play. Well, how can you have speed of play when it's taking you so long to play a round of golf and it's ruining the game of golf, this tremendous slow play? Now, the whole thing at the U.S. Open was unlike the U.S. Open to choose a course like that. And now they want to encourage people to play golf. That's the thing, to get more people playing and to make it cheaper. You go and find out what it costs to play there, Rick, on a public golf course. 
They're not make. They're going to make it cheaper. They're going to make golf so it can go faster, so people can play in the morning after being away all week, whether it's man or woman, in business and can spend the weekend with their families and still have the enjoyment of golf. So all I was trying to do is just say, let's go in the right direction. The rounds of golf, Rick, are going down in the world with amateurs. Professional golf has never been this healthy. But with amateurs, rounds are deteriorating. They're making the golf courses with the greens too undulating. Bunkers in front of the green, too long. They're making people not enjoy it. And it's a game where people want to go out and have enjoyment. So the whole thing at the U.S. Open was unlike the USGA's philosophy. Performance enhancing oh, yes. drugs in 2007. Yes. Now, about 12 years ago, I said that athletic sport is riddled with performance enhancing drugs, and I was criticized. Now, all of a sudden, 12 years later, they're saying, gee, Gary, you were really right. I mean, you read about it every single week. They tested 104 baseball players some time ago, and 104 were positive. Yep. <laughs> They've seen yep. golfers. They've seen the Tour de France. I mean, this was long before Lance Armstrong. And the professor at Harvard University said that it was hard for a man to finish the last part of the Tour de France unless he was on some kind of performance-enhancing drugs. You read about it every single week and almost every single sport, there's been something happening. And it's a well, tragedy. And yeah, I don't know how you're going to stop it. I don't know how you're going to stop it, Rick. Well, you know, the bottom line is you stop it by listening to people who care what you do. There you go, speaking your mind again and having change on the industry. I've got one final question for you, probably the most important one. You Rick, I'm in no world. hurry. All right, Rick, well, if you have a couple of questions, I'm very happy to answer them. This is the most important one as we end this, too, because I want your perspective on it. You've traveled the world. You've spent years in the industry. What's the most important thing to you? Winning your nine majors, winning the career at Grand Slam, designing 325-plus golf courses, traveling 25 million miles, doing 1,000 sit-ups a day, or having 21 grandkids. How's that? <laughs> uh, you can't I answer would say, that one. What's, what's the answer to that one? They're all, they're all important, but when you've got 22 grandchildren and six children, you're a rich man. And we just yeah. spent a holiday in Greece all together, all 40 of us. They ate like it was the last supper. They kept their head down. They never said much at meals. I said, if you could keep your head down like that, when you're hitting a golf ball, you'd all be champions. So there now go. well, I've got to come back and win a tournament just to break even for the Bulls. Listen, that's the right answer, and it's not 21, it's 32. That's what happens when you're Gary Player. <laughs> Thank you, as usual. You're a good friend. I am honored to have you do this always. And by the way, in advance, November 1, ladies and gentlemen, happy 80th birthday. Thank you so much. Love to all your viewers and listeners. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. The producer of the show is Alex Cohen. Audio producer, Adam Wieson. Technical assistance provided by Jamie Weber, Tanner Simpkins, and Carlos Waddick. The executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Colarusso.